0: Welcome to the eighth episode of Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader, Joel Prusky. This week's episode is titled, To Cut or Not to Cut? That is the question. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesus at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated.
1: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries.
0: I'd like to welcome Joel back for his second appearance on the show. Joel's first episode was well-received, as many enjoy hearing his easygoing nature and strong opinions. Joel managed to make it through his last episode without any colorful language. We'll see if he can make it two for two. Welcome back, Joel. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. And, and Ben, just for the record, I don't believe anyone's ever
0: called me easygoing before. Well, I mean, you're you're easy to talk to. Okay, you may, you may be wound up, but you're easygoing in your in your speech. You're willing let's to not, say what's on your mind,
2: and let's not forget easy on the eyes too.
0: Well, obviously, of course. But let's get started, Ben. What can we talk about today? Let's do that. To kick things off this week and this year, since this is the uh, first episode of, of 2021. Uh, I'd like to focus initially on the Bank of Canada's policy announcement coming next week. Before I give my thoughts, and and, and I I got a lot of them as usual, what do you think about the bank next week? Is anything coming from them? There's been some uh, micro cut talk. Uh, What's what's your view around that?
2: Well, you know, I mean, normally I, I would say it would be highly unlikely, but I think the bank introduced the language and reiterated the language once or twice about the ELB. And I think because of that, they've put the idea in the market. Now, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, the market has turned that into a narrative much more so than the bank. But I think the bank would be naive to not think that the narrative itself becomes bigger than simply the narrative. Now, core is set now for the past month at 20. So it's clear that the bank doesn't seem to have a problem with it being under target. So I, I don't think in the big picture it matters a lot other than it matters psychologically. In the depths of a second uh, lockdown or lockdown light in Ontario uh, with cases and deaths starting to peak again, psychologically, the idea of a micro cut, I think, plays well out there. E- even though I think you would agree with me that that. You know, with an effective rate of twenty, the last month cutting it to ten, which is really let's let's be honest, the ten basis point cut isn't going to change a whole hell of a lot. I mean, thirty year rates have backed up fifty basis points in the last month. Ten basis points is, is kind of irrelevant.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I agree on that. I think that that's kind of my thesis as well. As in, like, uh, the bank does want to be seen as as doing as much as they can, and I mean, their mandate. Uh, is is to, to hit their inflation target, and if cutting ten or fifteen beeps makes a difference on that front, I guess they should be doing it. But the rationale to cut, from a macro perspective, and really from any other perspective, isn't isn't quite there. I think things, especially relative to maybe one or two weeks ago, and as much as we're in the depths of the second wave, and 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 I'm going to be stuck in my house for a long time, uh, or so it seems, and and so will most everybody in Ontario the outlook is still really good. And and like if you go back to October, you go back to their October monetary policy report, uh, they were looking for the vaccine to be widely available in the second half of, in the middle of 2022. Uh, we're going to be almost a year ahead of that timeline, so that that's unambiguously better. Q4 is going to be significantly better than they thought from a growth perspective, even though we're going into the second wave through through the quarter. Growth, there was still a lot of momentum, so things will be much better. Q1 is going to be weaker, so maybe those are... are off, offset one another. Uh, but net net, it, it's, it's hard to get away from the fact that things will probably be better from a forecasting perspective. Meantime, you have oil prices going up very strongly. And uh, I guess the offset to that is is the stronger Canadian dollar. But I mean, that was that was a big narrative, call it, uh, in the opening week of the year and, and through the latter part of last year was as they brought up this potential to move the effective lower bound down, the Canadian dollar was was touted as a potential driver of that move. But given where commodity prices are, the Canadian dollar is just not out of whack at all. Uh, I think it's it's really just a, a weaker U.S. dollar story, and thinking that 15 beeps or 10 beeps is going to make a difference for the currency would, would be nothing short of delusional. And you can look at the, the Aussie dollar for, for that. They cut down to 10 beeps, and the currency just kept going higher. So uh, I, I, I don't buy that as the rationale. Uh, so, all, I mean, all that, I think we're both in the same boat here. we, we Neither of us would rule it out, uh, but it doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense.
2: I mean, though. The one thing I will say is when they originally thought the vaccine wouldn't be administered till 2022, they also didn't think we'd be having a, a wave of this magnitude at this point in the year, though, did they? So I think on a pure output gap mathematical basis, I agree with everything you said, right? I mean, the output gap has come in because growth was so much stronger in Q4, But you have a psychological effect right now where, you know, people are starting to climb the walls in their homes, mental health concerns, all this other stuff going on. And, you know, a rate cut is a little bit of good news.
0: I guess so. Uh, I don't don't know. 15 basis points on my on a line of credit is going to make much of a difference for anyone uh, going crazy in their house. It's not, but it's psychological. And, and in terms
2: of market pricing, I mean, if, if we want to touch on that, since, you know, this is a market podcast. Um, chorus come in, like I said, for the last month at 20. It hasn't even deviated one day. And right now, the January meeting, it trades at 18 and a half. So if you believe in a micro cut, you're actually risking one and a half basis points to make eight and a half basis points, which is a six, uh, just over six to one risk-reward bet, which, you know, in, in as far as front-end uh, leverage bets go, is about as good as it gets.
0: I like that trade as well, uh, just because I, I don't think you can rule it out at this point uh, by any means, and and the risk-reward, I mean, the risk is is pretty small on a relative basis there.
2: I mean, the real risk would be if, if, if Cora was to go back to 25, then I think, of course, at, at 18 and a half, it's almost 50-50. But, you know, given that Cora hasn't budged, given the lack of product out there, given ETS balances, given everything else, I really would be shocked if Cora deviated much from 20 in the next month or so.
0: I think that'll be a March-April story at the at the earliest. So we have a lot of uh, term repos rolling off at the Bank of Canada in, in March and April uh, that should facilitate some shrinkage of their balance sheet. Uh, and that might spark somewhat of an upward move in Cora. But until then, I, I mean, there's really nothing to change. Uh, and, and so things will stay, I think, pretty pretty well behaved around here. If they were to cut, I thought for a while the, the the where they'd move rates to is probably ten basis points. Uh, maybe it'll be fifteen, but I, I think ten is probably the the real effective lower bound at this point. Uh, if they don't, if the, if if the bank isn't comfortable with a number of financial instruments going into negative territory, I think that that's probably the key there. Uh, they probably don't want to see. Quora, if is five beefs below target now, they don't want to see that drifting into negative territory. So going down to five would, would push core down to zero. and I'm sure the market would, would push a number of other instruments to, to negative territory. So I think that's something to keep in mind uh, generally. And there are plenty of conversations around negative rates. But I think at this point, the bank has made it abundantly clear they have no real interest in that. So they'll do their best to to avoid things. Uh, Joel, wh- why don't you give us a, a very brief refresher on what you think of negative rates, Only, only, f- almost for entertainment value alone?
2: Uh, I mean, there are attacks on humanity and there are crime against finance, an economic war crime against finance. That's what they are.
0: There it is. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, always, always, always entertaining on that front. Um, one other thing I'll just mention, um, and then we can leave the bank, I guess. Uh, one other thing to note is since that October NPR also, uh, we've had the, the government's uh, fiscal update, so there's more stimulus in there. Uh, plus, you're going to get more stimulus out of the U.S. So, macro-wise, again, it, it's it's hard to make the case. But I think Joel, as you mentioned, the sentiment side uh, does make at least a decent argument for them acting uh, at this meeting, or, or maybe they wait till the March meeting uh, until we get a bit more clarity on, uh, on on how impactful the the current round of lockdowns uh, is.
2: Well, we'll have more we'll have more visibility on the vaccines by then too. So that could, exactly. you know, if the delivery and the and the distribution of the vaccines start coming in where they like it to be, then that would I think negate some of the idea of the need for a rate cut. Look, truth be told, I, I would really love a rate cut because uh, a I think it would be the last rate cut probably for my career, and b it becomes a lot easier to trade the market once we know we are actually at the ELB. Uh, meaning the goalpost changed this time when when uh, tiff said the lb was not what the lb was and uh, once we get it down i think it just becomes a lot easier as a trader as a market
0: maker as a risk taker fair enough i, I i'm going to use that as as a, as a segue uh you talked about the vaccine and and the timeline around that and i think that's that's probably uh, like the market is is very much forward-looking and i, and I think it, it, it's hard to look at it any other way i mean uh, the fact that we've seen equities stay as strong as they have uh, until just very recently, and then we've seen the yield curve steepen in the long end of the of, of uh, the Treasury curve in Canada duration has been under a lot of pressure over the past few weeks. It can only be the forward-looking nature of, of markets. Uh, things are hardly uh, rosy at the moment for pretty much all of North America with uh, the virus having a pretty big impact. But I think that that's probably the biggest risk at this point, is that the, the vaccine maybe doesn't get distributed as quickly as possible, maybe isn't as impactful or isn't as effective uh, as as we think. What else do you think would be kind of the, the biggest risk that could derail uh, the market and and, and risk appetite at, at this point and over the next kind of couple months or so? Uh,
2: well, I mean, I don't think there is any other narrative, but the, you know, reflation stimulus vaccine rollout, and I think everyone's bought into it. And rightly so. I mean, it seems to me we have effective vaccines on the horizon, literally like on the cusp. Um, and we have federal governments that for the first time in at least a decade are really serious about putting fiscal in place with low rates. So I think it's the right narrative. I do. I think it took a lot of people a lot of time to jump in and get to it. And I My biggest concern is in the very near term, the boat's leaning a little bit too much one way and everyone's buying into this. And I just don't think that most uh, risk takers have the ability to stomach a short-term change in sentiment when the boat's leaning as as heavy as it is. So, you know, we've seen bond yields uh, back up quite substantially over the last two days. They finally found some some basing because I think a lot of people were short, and I, I think the market is full of dry tinder right now. It wouldn't take much of a spark to see yields retreat lower a bit. Not because the story is going to change, but because it's not happening as fast as people would like. And the Johnny Come Latelys are going to get run over. That's what the market does. The market exists to screw over the most amount of people, and the Johnny Come Latelys are the ones. Who get screwed over the most? That's just the way it is. The guys who bought Bitcoin at forty four thousand dollars on uh, on Friday who is an example. Or you know who who every day say, well, you have to be long stocks because you know we're just going to uh, have fiscal and the Fed's printing money and and all these other narratives. And that that I, I understand in a macro picture why you probably want to be long risk in general, but that doesn't mean you want to be long risk at any price.
0: That's my. General tone as well. My piece on my my Tuesday piece uh, just highlighted a reason for caution. Uh, Ten-year Canada yields hit the top of the range uh, that that we've been in for six plus months now, and there's probably another five to ten beeps of downside from here. I'm looking at 81 basis points at the moment, so uh, it's probably from what I read from our U.S. guys something something similar in the U.S. uh, Maybe maybe a little less downside there, but there's there's still plenty of downside on on yields here, so room to retrace for probably more than the last couple of days, but the market moves have been pretty violent. So you never know uh, if, if we get down to those levels uh, in a hurry, maybe we just trade sideways for a while before kind of reestablishing that upward trend in yield. One of the things I've noticed and, and, and something that uh, re- really perked my interest is the makeup of the backup in, in, in yields and and the inflation component versus the real yield component. And kind of the way all this started, is you mentioned, everyone getting kind of all all, all, all bared up on, on duration based on stimulus and, and inflation and all that. And uh, it's the inflation side of thing, I think is interesting. And then you've seen uh, 10-year break-evens in the U.S. move up to 210. And when you look at it, like, realistically, how much higher can they really get at this point? I mean, inflation's still printing relatively tame. You're not going to get the big base effects pushing inflation notably higher until uh, the March print, which won't come out till April, so still three full months away. That's a while to wait for your inflation thesis to come in. So, uh, I think that that's part, probably part of what, what's driving things here. And some pullback in those inflation expectations shouldn't be shocking at, at this point at all. But I think bigger picture, where you're going to have to see the, uh, the, the, the the move in rates come. Uh, as as inflation expectations, probably going to trade in a range, I don't know, whatever, 190 to 210 or something like that. They trade in that range because we know inflation is going to move higher. It's going to have to come on the real side of things. And uh, 2020 was all about real yields moving sharply lower. 2021 might be the, the exact opposite of that. And uh, part of that's probably going to be stimulus, lots of stimulus, lots of issuance. We have a blue wave in the U.S., Joel, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the blue wave? Are they, are they going to be able to put through as much money as you think? Is it going to be trillions in stimulus that uh, Biden's expected to at least propose uh, on Thursday this week?
2: Well, I think it, it, 50-50 in the Senate with a couple of blue dog Democrats, Like I just don't think it's as as easy of a layup as you know the market wants to believe. I mean, we distilled it down to whatever the... Results were in Georgia, and that's going to be the end of it. But you know, remember, these are every every single one of those senators is fighting for his political life over the next two to four years. So you have conservative Democrats in there. So I I don't think it's a lock. I do think, though, as we move to this idea of you know people have been hurt, we need to do income replacement. It's not. It's 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 very hard to say no. So. You know, I think, you know, are we going to get $3 trillion in stimulus or are we going to get 1.6? Are we going to get 800? You know, I would tend to think there's going to be some compromise needed and it's probably not as a worst case scenario as the market thinks.
0: You're a wise man, Joel. I, yeah, I think that's right on. I think it, getting the kind of center leaning Democrats on side means is, is something going to be probably something in the order of a trillion plus or minus, I don't know, a few hundred billion. Uh, and, and tossing around these crazy, ridiculous numbers as if they're nothing uh, is 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 still still a little bit mind boggling for me that a trillion dollars is just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> a trillion in stimulus. No problem. We have that in our back pocket But that that's where we are right now. Uh, and, and as you say, I guess people need support. So uh, that I guess that that's one of the only ways to do that.
2: I mean, I, I mean, the spending part's easy, right? I, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to get a ton of pushback because there are, you know, you can see the K recovery. You know that there's a huge underclass of people who've been left behind and there's a, huge, a whole swath of people whose jobs never changed, who, you know, managed to transition to work from home and companies managed to cut some expenses and, and lots of companies are doing great. But it's going to be 2021 and 2022 are going to be about helping the people who need the help.
0: I I agree. I I actually, so I'm. I suspect personally that once we reopen, the the many, many of those services jobs will come back in a very large hurry. Uh, I guess the question is is how reluctant people are to travel and stuff like that. But uh, as as there, while there may be many doubters about pent up demand, I mean, when you're going from kind of five percent of normal demand for a product, a service, call it like travel. And that goes up to ninety or ninety-five percent, or even seventy-five percent. Like the growth from that tiny little base to the big giant number is is significant. So you are going to have a, a big boost there. That's going to drive job growth. It's a, I guess it's a question of how fast all those jobs come back, uh, and and how many businesses maybe are permanently gone. Uh, but I mean, you are you are going to see that. But uh, you, I guess you do need some some support for all those folks out there, definitely that have been uh, hardest hit by all of this. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts uh, on, on just the general market exuberance. Uh, I know you mentioned the inflation trade generally, but uh, we have things like Bitcoin going through the roof that you mentioned earlier. Gold has actually been pretty subdued through all this. I mean, despite the consistent increase in inflation expectations, gold has is, is pretty much gone. Is that, has Bitcoin replaced gold? I know you, in, in your morning note, you mentioned you owned some Bitcoin, at least for a while. And now you're out of it. What do you, what, I, I suspect our, our our listeners will be interested in your thoughts there.
2: I mean, I think uh, among the younger generation, there's no doubt that Bitcoin is digital gold, um, you know. And, but I also think that some of its moves has been exacerbated on, on two fronts. I think the first front was. Enough Davy Day Traders bored with the stimulus check with nothing to do, saying, "How do I turn six hundred bucks into twelve hundred bucks?" And oh, you know, there's no sports, so let's bet on the market. But I also think there's been some uh, institutional acceptance of of uh, crypto as an asset class, and it doesn't take much to move the price. It's always the marginal buyer that moves the price. So, um, I, look, we are in the midst of the greatest debt explosion in history. And there's only two ways out, the hard way, which is the default, and the less hard way, which is the inflator way out. And it's obvious if you look at gold. I mean, let's not talk the next last three months of gold. Let's talk the last two years or a year even. Uh, Bitcoin, art, fine wines, whiskey, classic cars. They're even bringing hockey cards and baseball cards back. I mean, you know, there's obviously too much money chasing too few goods because the rest of the goods and services aren't available. And at at some point, the money is going to move out of those asset classes into the real economy. The real economy is hampered right now, right? Yep. I I think the the trick is, how are we going to get out of this? And the question that, you know, which I think Bitcoin and, and even gold to a less extent are answering, or people think they have the answer is, you know, the Fed can't get out of it. Their hands are tied. They're going to turn into the Swiss National Bank or uh, the Bank of Japan, who owns what sixty percent of the ETF market in Japan, and and the Swiss the S and which is basically just a glorified hedge fund. Uh, you know, I mean, what's the exit strategy? It's never really been communicated by the Fed. They don't know.
0: <laughs> the Simple answer is they don't. They don't really know, or, the,
2: or there isn't one, and, and, and that's why I think the oh, wow. bigger picture. You know, if you want to talk near-term direction of rates and risk, I think we're at risk for risk coming off and, and yields going a bit lower as uh, we shake the the, nar- the, the narrative tree uh, that everyone's bought into at the moment. But I mean, bigger picture, I, I still think you know we have a debt problem, and we've been trying to solve it with more debt. And if that was the case, and yes. every time I cut myself. I should just keep cutting myself in hopes
0: that that would somehow heal me that that's been the mantra for ten plus years i I remember that everyone we we have a debt problem and we're just adding more debt to solve that that was That was the narrative ten years ago uh Good. when we came out of the financial crisis, and I guess it hasn't changed This rates have really uh overall only come down and and as long as they can go lower, I feel like that's seems like the easy way out but uh we're we're clearly near the end of that road.
2: We haven't taken a hard way out since probably 2000.
0: And even then, I mean,
2: the, the idea of taking the hard way out is is just lost these days. I mean, we live in a society where, you know, you can't make a hard decision for, you know, because someone may feel some pain somewhere. And that's just been the way it's been. And it's going to keep going like that until the system breaks. And the system will break at some point. I hope it's, you know, when your grandkids and my grandkids are kicking around.
0: I don't want to be around for that one.
2: But, but the way it seems now and the, the way things, you know, the way COVID's accelerated uh, responses to everything and the way the market moves, the speed at which the market moves, I think it'll be a lot less than that. Uh,
0: let, let, let's try to get back to the market a little bit here um, and, and let's try to focus in on what your one of your uh, trading specialties is, uh, cross-currency basis. Uh, the provinces have been more active internationally over the past kind of week or so. I've uh, seen some some pretty big deals. Ontario with a, a sizable five-year deal. What's driven their interest, do you think? Uh it's have has that impacted your market significantly? What do you expect going forwards? And 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 usually I end on trade ideas, but I think this is a good, good opportunity for you to talk about uh what you like best in the cross currency market.
2: Sure. Um, you know, things got very quiet in December, which coupled with the classic turn of the year. Um, which is you know the time of the year when sturt traders go insane and think that they should be paying four percent for three day money instead of the twenty five basis points it's offered at. Uh, but th- that was a potent combo come December, and uh, the basis curve shifted very hard to the left. Subsequent to that, we've come into the new year, and all of a sudden, you know, we've seen I think uh, two large Ontario issues, one in sterling, one in the U.S that have given uh, cross-currency swaps a bit of a boost back to the range they were in uh, late fall. On the other side of that coin, we have seen three maples. So there is uh, at least a flow that's helped balance that out. If it wasn't for the maples, I think we'd be substantially higher. Um, I think the demand will probably continue for offshore issuance, uh, mostly because I think the provinces have terrible are in terrible financial shape. I mean, revenue is way down, expenses are up, and you know you can go to the U.S. market and get three billion five-year money done, which it would probably take you a couple of weeks to get that done in Canada. So I think you know, it, it, looking bigger picture on cross currency, you know, I think the risk is it goes back to its old trading range but i think it, it, there's a lot of moving pieces there it's not as simple as that i mean they're, they're, like i said we've we've seen three maples in the last 10 days if we if the arbs work the other way for non-canadian issuers which can happen the market could be quite well balanced and, and these flows tend to be chunky they come and then they go and then the market has to find its equilibrium so five year traded between -16 and -22 over the last kind of three to six months, and we're right now, you know, towards the bottom of the range at minus 20 right now. And I think you can make an argument to get it, that it could get back to minus 18 if the flow continues. But the truth is, I just don't see a lot of great setups for trades right now. The the market has evolved into a flow-driven market. And when there's no flow in, um, in any direction, it tends to move left. When there's more flow in whichever direction, it tends to move that way. So I unfortunately don't have a lot to say on cross currency swaps right now. There's just not anything that stands out. That's okay. Any any other
0: broader trade ideas that you might have to share with us?
2: Well, I mean, ultimately, I'm still a duration bear. I don't think that's going to change, although I think near term, we're likely to see lower yields. But I think you're the only positions you're supposed to have in the rates market is either flat or short. And flat will feel like you're long. But I think we've achieved some technical targets, as you pointed out, and we've steepened quite a bit and the market's leaning a little bit too much one way. So for now, I think if you like to get cute, you can put on flatteners and you can receive rates. Otherwise, I'd wait for maybe a 10 or 15 beep rally to, to lean into it again. I do think you know Canadian swap spreads seem topish to me here. Um, part of that is the Bank of Canada, who uh, in the guys of helping the market is actually hurting the market and making it less liquid. But
0: they've seemed topish for a while now. That 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 stop spreads are a tough call. And as long as the bank's buying the way that they are, the bank Canada's buying the way that they are, it's going to be tough for them to back off significantly. Uh, but they, I mean, there's they're, undeniably they look rich.
2: A trade. Tra- well, what they should be doing is cutting, and they should be cutting and tapering. If you ask me, it's clear to me that they are buying too many bonds. And swap sets are way too high, especially seeing what Cedar OAS is doing. So I think one of the things they should be doing is why don't throw a rate cut out and taper and let let the market find its proper level.
0: Uh, I, somehow I doubt they'll go there, but uh, uh, why, why, why don't I leave that for another day? Uh, tapering, tapering is going to come eventually, but uh, I'd say maybe maybe your next visit with me, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. I think the timing will be hopefully about right by then. Joel, thanks so much for joining me uh, again this week. And uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Benny, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode.
1: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.